we're in this series, and basically, the question is this. Are you satisfied? That's a, a broad question, isn't it? But I'm sure uh, every one of us in this room, uh, there's an area of our life where we're not satisfied. It's just kind of life. Forbes did this, this, uh, this research, and they found out that only 19% of all people are satisfied with their job. Gallup just came out with another uh, poll that said 30% of all Americans are satisfied with the direction of the country, meaning 70, 70% are not satisfied. If you're a football plan, uh, fan, I'm sure that you're not satisfied with your team, even when they win, like the Cowboys did last week. They, they won. They looked horrible. I wanted them to lose because that's how bad I felt watching them win. But you're never satisfied. Last week, I, I talked about where last week was probably one of the most difficult um, subject matters when it comes to this whole idea of contentment. But I think today is going to be right up there with it. We've been uh, bouncing around in this book of the Bible called Philippians. Uh, we call it a book. It's actually a letter written by a guy named Paul to a church located in the city of Philippi. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul writes this phrase. He goes, For I have found the secret of being content. And that one simple phrase is guiding us throughout this whole series. How do we discover the secret of being content? Because we're not naturally hardwired that way, are we? There's always something newer. There's always something shinier. There's always something prettier. And we've talked about this concept that all of us are trying to get to the land of Ur. Where we can be smarter or more powerful or prettier or, I know, buffer and... Uh, you still laugh. I'm still working on it. One day I'm going to hear, yeah. No, no, not laugh. Okay. Um, but we're all trying to get to that land of Ur. But once we get to the land of Ur, guess what we see? We see the island of Est. Because it's never good enough. We're never satisfied in the land of Ur. Because if you get there, you look across the waters and there. There's only a spot for one person there. But you want to be the richest or the prettiest or the most powerfulest. And if you, by chance, get to the island of Est, you still won't be satisfied. Why? You now have to fight to keep that one spot. And you'll fight and claw and fight and claw until one day someone will take your spot. And you'll realize that's all an illusion. So how do we learn the secret of being content? Well, today's, like I said, is going to be a pretty difficult area because it's going to have to deal with you personally. Are you satisfied with you? Do you like you? 
When you woke up this morning, did you walk by the mirror and smile at yourself? Or did you try to ignore that there was a massive mirror in your wall? I mean, if you walk by and smiled at yourself and paused, well, that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> I like me. I'm just going to stay here all day. Do you like you? Do you like your personality? Do you like your laugh? Do you like what you're doing? Do you like what you're good at? You see, if you're like me, uh, there's this little phrase that probably, probably you say, if only I, if only I, I, like personally, I wish I was taller. I, I'm five, nine and a quarter on a great day. I always mark five, 10. It's on my license. <laughs> five, 10 makes it sound like I'm almost a six foot. Uh, and if I kind of stretch a little bit, I, I can get to five, 10. But I always hate when I walk up to someone taller, taller than me. I wish I had like a, a, a foldable, collapsible like, like footstool so I could just like step up on it. I hate like looking way up at someone. I wish I was taller. What do you wish? Sure, right now, there's all these thoughts going in your head. Because we like to compare ourselves with other people. We look at other people and we wish we could sing like them or act like them or get the promotions like they've gotten or receive the phone calls from that other firm that they have received. Live on that street, in that house. Wish that we had a certain look. And we always look around saying, if I, if I only, if I only, if I only. But again, that's all an illusion. Because if you start feeding that side of you, you'll never be satisfied. We know that, but yet we try to fill those voids. In the 20s, all of us, no matter what the generation, all of us came into the 20s thinking to ourselves, I'm my own person. I'm an individual. Look at me. I can conquer the world. Then over the years, we loop into our 30s, into our later 30s, if you're there now. Um, my oldest likes to uh, let me know that I'll be 40 next year. And so I literally have like now 10 months worth of her saying that. And I'm like, shut up. Of course, I don't say that because that's horrible to say to your kids, but I think it. Um, like, wow. But also when you enter in the, into this space of life, that you realize that you're not your own person, but that you're the sum of all the relationships around you. If you are a parent in the room, uh, nothing shows you that more than that moment with your kids. Usually when you're, not screaming, talking sternly. (laughs) It's bad to scream at kids, I'm sorry. And all of a sudden you say that thing, you look a certain way, You move a certain way, and in that moment, you realize, I'm my dad, or I'm my mom. You know those moments? Maybe interacting with an employee, interacting with someone you're dating, interacting with a friend. All of a sudden, you do something, and you have this flashback, and you realize how much your mom, your dad, 
You're them. And there might be some good parts to that. I'm sure there's some dark parts to that. You see, we're the sum of all the relationships we've ever been surrounded with. I had a good friend. He spent a week at this ranch called Blessing Ranch in uh, Fort Collins, Colorado. And it's a real cool place where it's kind of this week. I hate to even use the word counseling because the whole experience is so much more than just counseling. But it's this week intensive thing with a guy named John Walker. He has this PhD um, great mind, but God's using him in such a powerful way. But my friend went there, and one thing that John uh, talked with my friend about is that we all have capital T truths. These are the truths that God wants to impart to us. And then lower T truths. And these lower T truths come from everyone else around us and even our negative voice within us. I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not never going to accomplish anything great. I'm never going to reach to my potential. I'm never going to make it. I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not. And those lower T truths sometimes have been spoken into our mind and our heart from those who are closest to us. And then we pause and wonder why we're not satisfied with ourselves. The question is, are you going to listen to the lower T truths? Are you going to listen to God's capital T truths? We bounce into Philippians chapter 3 today. And... uh, This entire series, we're going through just the book of Philippians, not so much in chapter order, but we're just kind of making our way through uh, different parts of it. And Paul writes these words in Philippians chapter 3. He says, if someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And what he's saying is this confidence in the flesh, saying, hey, I understand that you look around you, you look at people's resume, their pedigree. You look about uh, how they present themselves, their accomplishments, what they've done, what people are saying about them. And Paul's just saying, hey, okay, if we want to talk about all this outward stuff, let me tell you my resume. And so he's going to jump into all these outward things. And this is the first one he puts on the list. It's going to get awkward for about five seconds. Circumcised on the eighth day. Now, I don't know for you, that would never be on my resume. (laughs) Nor would I ever hire someone that has that on their resume. What? Why are you telling me that? I don't want to know. Like, like, like it's just an awkward moment right there. And uh, 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 you might be sitting there going, why is that even in the Bible? Well, there's this whole circumcision thing throughout the whole Bible, which sometimes people like start interacting with the Bible, reading the Bible, and they get to these weird places going, wow, that's just weird. I don't don't even know what to do with that. I feel uncomfortable. Why are they talking about it? Well, you have to go back to Genesis chapter 17. And in Genesis 17, God comes to Abraham and makes this amazing covenant between God and Abraham. And the thing that kind of signified the covenant was circumcision. Now, not my idea. 
I, I didn't come up with that idea, but God did, and so I'm going to roll with it. And there in the kind of, uh, throughout the Old Testament, this was a major step for, for Jews, for, for Israelites to kind of say, I have a covenant relationship with God. And so Paul starts off just saying, hey, I want you to know, on the eighth day, he's the follower of Jewish law. He didn't wait until he was older like some Jews did. His parents didn't ignore the fact that God had commanded kids, boys, to be circumcised on the eighth day, that he was a follower of God's law, his commands. And so he starts there. It gets less awkward, I promise you. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. Now that's important because Paul's going to say to you, hey, both his mom and dad were Jews from one of the tribes. And we'll get to the tribe in a second. And not only were, were his parents, his parents' parents, and his parents' parents' parents, and all the way up the chain, that there wasn't one person kind of in his genealogy from another nation, another culture, that had kind of mixed the bloods. And this was important back then. So you say, not only were my parents the follower of God's law, but no one else in my genealogy has been from another nation. They're all Jews. He goes on, if that wasn't clear enough, of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, the tribe out of the 12 tribes, Benjamin was kind of the envy of all tribes. They were kind of that tribe where people said, oh, I wish, if only I could be from that tribe. That was an envy of all um, Israelites. And so Paul's just kind of beating his chest a little bit more, saying, hey, I'm from that tribe. You, you, you know how special that is. And then he says, a Hebrew of Hebrews. A Hebrew of Hebrews. Meaning, you all wish you could be me. That's what he's saying. You think you're special? You think you have the resume? You think you have the pedigree? This is who I am. He goes on. He goes, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. Now the Pharisees, they were the spiritually elite, the spiritual leaders of that time. And to become a Pharisee was years and years in the making. And once you hit that level, You were someone special and someone of power and someone everyone looked up to. And he just simply said, a Pharisee. Yep, I even have the position. As for zeal, persecuting the church. See, when we first get introduced to Paul, his name was Saul at that point. He was overseeing the killing of Christians. This new movement titled The Way of People Who Are Following Christ. Jews and Gentiles who realized that the promised Messiah had came and walked and died and rose. But when Jesus grabbed a hold of Paul's heart, his life radically shifted. And then he ends by saying, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless.
That's who Paul was. He was standing on the banks of Ur. He might, might have even been on the island of Est. And that sounds so prideful in that moment, so arrogant in that moment. But yet so many of us live in that moment. If I were to ask you, who are you? You'd probably start talking about where you went to school and what you graduated with and maybe even your GPA and where you work and how you worked up the chain and how you got to your position. And that's where we start. It's no different. The specifics are different. But if I would ask you, who are you? We always start on all this outward stuff. And what Paul had realized is all of that outward stuff never gets you anywhere. See, Paul goes on in verse 7. And he says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. All that outward stuff, loss. The position of power, loss. Being a Hebrew of Hebrews, loss. Because Paul had discovered the secret of contentment. And that was Christ. You see, this whole letter called Philippians is about Paul discovering the secret of contentment. And every time we come back to another part of Philippians, he's talking about his relationship with Christ, his relationship with Christ, his relationship with Christ. He goes on, he says, what is more? I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. Now that word garbage, it's a great word. I mean, the NIV Bible that I'm kind of teaching from now, they translate the word garbage. Uh, that's the PG version of the word the real word, um, and, and I'm going to make it PG-13, is like, like poop. Um, that's me as a dad. Uh, that's the PG-13. But the real word is a word we can't say in church out loud, or at least in here. Maybe if you tripped up the stairs walking up, maybe that word slipped out of your mouth and then you got elbowed from your wife. Yeah, you can't say that. But that's the word. It's that word. I mean, we'd have to bleep the word here in church. And Paul's just saying all of that, all of that stuff on the outside that culture screams is important, is garbage, is poop, is beep. That's what he thinks of it. He would have, uh, everyone reading this letter, he had their attention right now. Right now, you're like, I knew it. I could say it. It's in the Bible. Awesome. That's your takeaway today. Hmm. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is, uh, is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And he ends that section just by saying, hey, I'm not good enough and I'm not perfect and I don't have it all together 
and I'm flawed and I'm broken and I'm messed up. But you see, Paul discovered the secret of contentment. It's about having a relationship with Christ. It's just where it starts. See, I want to challenge all of you today to go from if only to you only. To you only. You have to come to the place where you realize that God created you only. And in his hands, he can put you only back together. And in his hands, your flaws, your sin, your brokenness, your pride, your ego, your little T truths in his hands, he can start healing and mending and putting you back together again. One of my favorite verses in the Bible and I say that all the time. I probably have a hundred favorite verses. So is in Ephesians chapter two. Paul wrote this letter to church located in Ephesus. He says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That word handiwork is where we get our word poem from. The best translation isn't handiwork, it's God's work of art. That you are God's work of art, created in advance for him to do great works. You see, the secret of being content with who you are is when you realize that who you are is good enough in God's hands. The secret of contentment is when you realize that who you are, who God has made you to be, a work of art, is powerful in God's hands. When you realize that who you are and what God has created you to be in his hands, he can do great things through you and in you to impact lives around you. You see, if you're trying to fill this void, of being content on this earth by building your resume, you'll never, never be satisfied. And you'll never discover contentment. But when you start realizing what God wants to do with you, the broken you, the flawed you, the not perfect you, the prideful you, the angry you, the insecure you, when you realize in God's hands, he can take you and start shaping you to the best version of you possible. You'll discover the secret of contentment. Then and only then. Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you for just today. And uh, I know people in this room have had years of believing the little T truths in their life from a mom or a dad, brother or sister, a coach, someone. 
Lord, I pray that today they'll realize that who you've made them to be is such an amazing plan. And you want to take who they are, exactly where they are, with all their habits and hang-ups and hurts and issues, and you want to start healing from the inside out. Lord, I pray that that capital T truth will rest on their spirit today. In your name I pray, amen.